Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I will provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. So now let's move behind the scenes right here at Movie Beat. Today, we're going to be talking about the myth of distribution. We're going to talk with uh, author Reed Martin of The Real Truth. His book is all about debunking the myths uh, in the film business, about getting uh, uh, your movie made, getting uh, your movie distributed, marketing. And we're going to talk to him about what those myths might be. You know, you go into Sundance, you want to have that big movie distribution deal, and what's the likelihood of that in this day's market. So Reed will be with us in just a little bit, uh, and he's continued with us. He, by the way, if you are going to Sundance, you want to go back and listen to Reed's last interview with us, which was Sundance Survival Tips, what you need to know and what you need to be aware of and what you need not to do if you want a more successful time attending the festival. So be sure to listen back on our interview with Reed. I want to thank all my listeners and all my guests for being a part of Movie Beat. I want to thank you for all your emails, for your support. I really appreciate it when you retweet and when you retwitter uh, and when you post on Facebook or MySpace these interviews because that promotes my guest, and I, I really do appreciate it. By the way, I created a new Twitter account. It's Rex Sykes Movie Beat, but it's B-T instead of B-E-A-T. Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Come follow me on Twitter in this new account. We're going to try and make that the official Movie Beat uh, Twitter account. So be sure to uh, go to Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Twitter. Um, the official website for Rex Sykes Movie Beat, by the way, is my name. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. Now, right now, this is the 78th interview occurring today, and MovieBeat is really a resource designed for. I mean, MovieBeat is really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. There are 78 interviews today. We'll hit 80 by the end of the week, and these are free. These are for you to learn more about the process of movie making. Uh, they're with professionals and celebrities who are making it happen, so be sure to download the podcast at the iTunes store. Fill up your iPod. It'll be less than a gigabyte to have all 80 interviews uh, this week uh, right there at your fingertips. You can listen to it on your computer. You can listen to it. By the way, you can go to the website. They're all archived right there on the website at the interviews page. You go to the interviews page. Go down to the archives, click on it. Now, in those archives are upcoming interviews as well as those that are already cataloged. So sort through them, find the ones that you like to listen to. Uh, if you find one that's coming up, tune in when it's live or listen to it archived. That's RexSykes.com. You can subscribe also at the welcome page to the RSS feed. And again, please do tweet about it, Facebook it, uh, MySpace it, share it with your friends, 
and your industry connections. Uh, you can join the Facebook uh, Rec Sykes Movie Beat group or the Rec Sykes Movie Beat fan page, and uh, we love to have you there. There are uh, a number of announcements I want to make um, today. The chat room is open, so if you're listening in, please feel free to join us in the chat room if you have questions for my guests. Also, uh, ask them there. You can also ask them in advance by email by going to the contact page and using that page to email me questions for guests that are upcoming. Put their name in the subject header and the, the questions in the body of the letter. Also use that contact information to send your screeners and your products and your books and all the things that you're sending me. I appreciate it, as well as uh, emailing me uh, comments and suggestions. Oh, and when you go to the iTunes store and you subscribe, be sure to rate and review each and every show. That always helps spread the word. Um, coming up is the two-day buffoonery workshop, Saturday, January 23rd and January 24th at the Rhodes Wellness College in Vancouver, British Columbia. Trilby Jeeves is an acting coach. She uh, is conducting this two-day workshop. It's a great, safe place to explore an untapped side of you. Uh, discover your inner buffoon is maybe one of the craziest, most liberating ways for actors to tap into a truthful performance and for non-actors to burst open to their selves. So you're going to want to attend that and learn more about you and more about performing. Uh, visit the Buffoonery Workshop. Com. That's B-U-F-F-O-O-N-E-R-Y workshops, W-O-R-K-S-H-O-P-S dot com. Uh, she also has a two-day buffoonery workshop page on Facebook. Coming up in the uh, Wisconsin area is the Field Film Fest at the UW-Waukesha on Saturday, February 6th. You want to be sure to attend there. And the Beloit International Film Festival, February 18th to the 21st. Uh, in Beloit, Wisconsin. Check out the hot news blog at RexSykes.com for more information regarding those events. The Northern California Screenwriter and Film Expo takes place March 26th to the 28th. And Kevin Servo Celebrity Golf, which is a charity for a world fit for kids, uh, is June 10th and 11th, 2010, in Las Vegas. Uh, coming up, in the on February 2nd, I believe it is, it's a Tuesday, is the Midwest Film Festival. Uh, they have a show uh, coming up, uh, Chicago Overcoat, and there's a Q&A with the director, uh, the executive producer, and the cast on the 2nd. Uh, you want to go to their website at Midwest Films, I'm sorry, MidwestFilm.com. Check them out. I want you to also, if you're a Wisconsin resident, check out Wisconsin Film Jobs. Keep Wisconsin Film Friendly. It's a Facebook cause that I created. You can uh, join it by searching for that title, Wisconsin Film Jobs. Keep Wisconsin Film Friendly, or you can go to my profile page and find the cause right there um, on my profile page. And join that if you want to work more in Wisconsin in movies and television. Now, just one bit remaining, and that is um, my next interview is with uh, the villain on Heroes, David H. Lawrence, the 17th. He's the actor, and he will be with us next. Dallas Jenkins is a, is a director who just completed a movie with uh, Kevin Sorbo and Christy Swanson. Nick Mancuso comes up after him. Uh, Peter Tolan will be back again for a third uh, session. Uh, that will be announced. Brian Krause was Leo on Charmed. He's coming up. Sam Oster is a writer, director, and cameraman. He will be following Jackie Birch, casting director, is coming up, and then Peter Marshall returns with uh, the director's series, and then following is, is Ted Hope, the independent producer with over 60 independent films 
to his credit. So uh, you're going to want to stay tuned to uh, Movie Beat. But now we turn our attention to Reed Martin. He's the author of The Real Truth. Uh, he completed this book. Uh, I've read it. I think it's, you've heard me talk about it. It is a must-read book. This is one you really have to get your hands on if you want to learn about what to do and what not to do when it comes to uh, movie making. This actually is our fourth interview uh, with Reed. And as I said, we're going to discuss... Uh, Myth busting. We're going to find out what the myths are surrounding distribution and the future of distribution. Reed, are you there today? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it's good to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rex. How are things? How's your year going so far? So far, so good. So good. I appreciate you asking. Thank you. So, jumping right in, Reed. Well, uh, it's, it's really important, as I say in my book, The Real Truth, that you know what the contours are of the current landscape of film production exhibition and distribution before you leap in because it's so hyper-competitive these days. People have so many different entertainment on offer that... Hi, Reed. Yes. Can you hear hear me? You're breaking up. You're you're going in and out. Okay. um, How about now? Is that better? It's a little bit better, and I'm sorry to to interrupt your flow like that, but but there were a lot of dropouts and and kind of static, so I just wanted to alert you to that. Um, But please, go ahead, proceed... Uh, and and we'll take it from there. Um, well, actually, I can I can try quickly calling on a different line. Is that would that would that be better? Uh, no, not necessarily. We could try that if it if it continues. But let's let's try going okay. right now. Great. Okay. Well, it's just really important for filmmakers to to know the the contours of the exhibition distribution. Okay, I'm going to stop you. Yeah, go ahead and call back in on okay. a different line. Okay, we'll do. Awesome. I apologize for the uh, the technical difficulties here, but uh, that sometimes happens. Um, we've got so many guests coming up on Movie Beat. It's it's uh, it is amazing. I I can go ahead and list some more of those if you'd like me to. And um, I know that Kevin Sorbo is going to be coming back. We're looking forward to to his return. We also are going to be having. Um, Hold on, I'm sorry, as I open a window here. We have Daniel No, who is a screenwriter and producer. He's actually working with Kevin. Uh, they're producing uh, um, a screenplay that he wrote. He will be coming up. Bob Hercules, documentary filmmaker, uh, will be following that. We've got uh, Gregor Collins, who's an actor and producer. And then uh, Danielle Eskenazi, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't do her name justice. She is a commercial casting director. She's going to tell us all about what you need to know in uh, commercial casting. But she was also uh, a casting director for television and for films. And so she has a, a rounded out uh, body of knowledge, and we're looking forward to uh, speaking with her. And then John Mendoza will be returning and talking about it. Now, collateral producer, the, the woman who is in charge of getting uh, collateral to the screen is Julie Richard, Richardson, and she's going to be coming up. That movie starred Tom Cruise and um, Jamie Foxx. Uh, Reed, are you there? Yes, yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? It's for lack of a better sentence <laughs> to say. <laughs> I can hear you, and I don't notice any of the disruptions. So great. Uh, let's try and proceed now with, uh, okay. with this line. Terrific. Well, as I, as I point out in my book, The Real Truth, um, independent filmmakers these days cannot only be artists. They have to be marketing executives. They have to be PR experts. And in many cases, they need to be distribution professionals. And 
wear many hats so that they can know the contours of the exhibition and distribution landscape even before they get started with shooting a single frame of film. And what the book does is really debunk a lot of the myths, especially surrounding exhibition and, and distribution. There's a, there's a general assumption among filmmakers that if they don't get a big check at Sundance or Slamdance, if their films don't get picked up for distribution, that, well, they'll just be able to head up the street to the local multiplex or road trip perhaps to uh, Los Angeles to the Lemley Sunset Five or to New York and the Angelica or maybe Film Forum and with a copy of their film on 35 millimeter uh, celluloid, they'll be able to, to sort of get a, uh, to rent a house in, the, uh, in one of these uh, high profile theaters and get their film out there and will then lead to a pickup and a big distribution deal. And that's really not typically the case. And it's kind of a big shock to a lot of filmmakers uh, when they realize that there are so many independent films out there looking for a screen that uh, very often, even if they have the money to be able to, to buy, uh, to, to, to rent out one of the houses in, in a theater, uh, these high-profile theaters, and, and maybe even the theaters in their hometown, may not be able to free up a screen um, to be able to screen their, their uh, intrepid independent movie. That's dire news for many films. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's just sort of a shock, and uh, it's important for filmmakers to know what the economics are as far as distribution and exhibition goes, before they set out, because it may, again, as, as many things are pointed out in The Real Truth, make the exercise of fool's errand. So one of the first things that, that, that people uh, have wrong in their heads is that renting uh, a movie screen in the local multiplex probably costs about 100 bucks or 200 bucks a night. How much could it cost, after all? That's really the first problem. In fact, renting a, a screen for a mini premiere or for, for actually uh, what's known as a four-wall situation, which four-walling is basically where you're renting theater space, is very often uh, $800 to $1,000 to $1,200 a night. And it, and it really goes up from there depending on the city. So, um, you know, for a major city, if you were going to four-wall, if you were going to essentially rent theater space to show your film, um, that can cost $10,000 a week. And that's something that filmmakers don't typically budget for in their, uh, in their initial budget. And then after they don't uh, get any distribution offers, they're left scrambling to raise um, you know, multiples of, of $10,000 just to be able to play in one city. Um, so you know, in fact, it, it, these days, it's very important from the outset to, for filmmakers to budget into their production budgets at least $100,000, $200,000, maybe even as high as $500,000 worth of reserve, worth of cash in, uh, in escrow, in a bank account, not that they're going to dip into to have a crane day or to improve the quality of the craft service, but to actually have money to pay for a self-distribution effort. And that's really an important, an important part of the whole exercise these days. If you look on the NewYorkTimes.com, just two days ago there was a really interesting article interviewing Peter Broderick of uh, Los Angeles' Paradigm Consulting. And he's just a, a really talented, well-known consultant who uh, advises filmmakers on, on what to do these days. And, and really the sort of the old style, the old paradigm of 
going to a major festival and then having Fox Searchlight uh, express interest and then buy your film for a huge multiple, those days are really over. If they ever really existed to begin with, I mean, you know, there are 5,000 films apply to Sundance every year, only 120 get in, and of those, really only 12 historically got distribution deals that were, were of any serious uh, consideration. These days, even people who are getting picked up, as I point out in, in my book, The Real Truth, at festivals, um, are getting distribution offers of, of amounts that would kind of shock them of $200,000 or less because of, you know, of the challenges of releasing independent films in, in, in the marketplace today. So, um, you know, they may want to go out and go it alone and not necessarily just take the sort of low-ball offers um, that they may get. Another, another big, big myth um, that, that, that people have to deal with um, is, is that they necessarily need a 35-millimeter print to go into a theater these days. I mean, you can pay for, you can, for a 35 millimeter blow up of a film, a lot of uh, intrepid independent filmmakers will pay $50,000 to $100,000 because they think that showing up with the cans of film under their arm or, you know, lugging those big classic uh, cans of film makes them look more for real. And so they'll show up at a movie theater, a theater in their town or in a major city and they'll have their film cans with them. They'll be lugging this thing around and they'll sort of, uh, flash it like, like uh, a police officer would flash a badge and they'll say, okay, I'm here to, to show my film. But in fact, they haven't done uh, the homework in terms of looking at when the busiest, uh, the busiest time of distribution for independent films is, especially in the fall and heading into award season, that again, there may not be uh, screens available. They're made, it's not just like a bowling alley where if you show up with the right shoes, you can get a lane or if you wait a couple of days. I mean, there is such a crush of content and such a crush of product that it's very difficult for, for theaters these days to free up a screen and give it to, to just sort of Joe Schmo off the street who, who wants to uh, be able to show their, their movie. And, and the corollary to that is that not only do filmmakers not raise money from the outset to pay for their, for their self-distribution expense, which they may have to do, um, but they don't raise any funds for marketing. I mean, newspaper ads and even, a, even a, the most DIY guerrilla marketing campaign, you know, can very easily cost $15,000, dollars $90,000 $90, per city. So that's another huge expense that people don't uh, consider. And even though they may be able to find a distribution berth, they may be able to find a screen in their local uh, local art house theater if there is if there's still funds on on and to be able to market their film and let people know that their that their terrific amazing independent movie that might be the next paranormal activity is actually in theaters and so they're left scrambling and making phone calls and going on Facebook and saying who do I know in this city who can show up on opening night to at least be able to to be recoup some of our of our of our funds because again it's up to the filmmaker to pay for the the exhibitor's house floor or house nut which is the the amount uh, it costs for for each uh, house in the theater to uh, to to allow the theater to recoup for that night. Reed, uh, to to kind of recap, I mean, if we went back uh, just a bit. Um, in, in the traditional way of thinking, if you uh, had a million-dollar movie and it cost you that in production, 
you get picked up by a distribution house uh, company and they spend another million or, or so to promote it and market it and you know, print and advertising. Now, before you make any money back, uh, they have to make money. I mean, before you see a profit. So there was always the question of, of you know, uh, what kind of deal you cut with a dis distributor um, in in a traditional form, and whether or not your movie would ever see a profit, uh, because what some would call creative accounting. But today, what you're saying is is that the savvy producer not only needs to raise money for the production of their movie, but they need to raise money for the distribution of their film. And to keep that, you know, in 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 the background, in, in escrow, as you said, so that once you've made your movie, you ha have perhaps an opportunity with the money that you saved to uh, get your movie out there. And four-walling, I mean, it used to be that you could, you know, you could what they called two-wall. You went in with another... Uh, you went into a theater and they took up advertising and marketing and you paid for the rental of the house. But now it's four wall, which means you rent all four walls. You're in charge of everything. And that nut, typically, if it's not if it's not uh, in, it's just an exorbitant fee, it's usually a per ticket fee per seat. So if you had 100 seats at $10, it would be $1,000 for, for that room uh, or for the theater. So, you know, you're, you're saying that the filmmaker today can't just be creative. They have to be very smart business-wise, and they have to be able to do whatever they can to maximize their chances because they're just not happening the way they used to. They're not getting picked up at the festivals the way they may have been in the past. They're not getting the traditional or uh, distribution deals as they had in the past. So um, it is kind of a dire thing, but the prescription is is what? That they need to focus on... Um, not just making the, I mean, not just making the movie, but but putting stuff aside. I mean, it, it, when people are writing their plans or when they're approaching uh, investors, is is there a smart way to do it where you where you say, hey, um, here's what we're doing to produce it, but here's what we're going to do to optimize our chances for distribution. Well, the thing is, Rex, you know, um, as I point out in in, the, in my book, The Real Truth everything you didn't know you need to know about making an independent film. Um, you know, it's dire for people who don't know what the new normal is. I mean, it's dire and sort of shocking for people who haven't looked into this issue and who are going on a number of, of sort of historical classic assumptions that keep them warm at night and that help them through the, uh, the ups and downs of, of, of production and, and maybe even of screenwriting. I mean, in those sort of dark nights of the soul when everything is falling apart, people will sort of fantasize about what it is going to be like once they have their big Hollywood premiere or what it's going to be like when they get their big distribution deal and that their film is going to be, you know, the next Little Miss Sunshine or Juno. And, and you really do need those dreams, and those dreams are valid because that's the possibility and, and that would be great for everybody to have. But it is important for people to approach it from a sober perspective and, you know, you can have your head in the clouds as long as your feet are on the ground, and that's what I really... I'm talking about the book. So it does seem dire, again, for people who, who don't know, but this message, I think, has, has, has gotten out pretty much loud and clear uh, over the last several years in, in, in Movie Maker Magazine and Filmmaker Magazine. And, you know, the idea of having to put on that distribution hat and really sort of go it alone is, is something that, that filmmakers have to consider. And, and, you know, there is the possibility for a self-distribution, uh, you, you know, success. I mean, there, there are filmmakers... 
uh, who, who have had success with, with going out with their own films, um, the, the money, the ceilings of what they can possibly make are much lower, of course, than what might be made with a traditional distributor. I mean, those, those figures for like a hit DIY distribution, like something like Anvil or more recent, uh, you know, more recently uh, the Valentino documentary, are really sort of under five million dollars. That's you know, even one to two million is a is a really successful self distribution DIY effort. So so filmmakers need to you know sort of frame uh, what's possible uh, from that, and also they need to understand that. You know, doing a self-distribution is kind of a, it's a tall order, it's, a, it's another huge effort, it's almost a, uh, it's a, it's a whole other assignment from being an artist and being a filmmaker, and, you know, it's so competitive these days, and so many people want to make films, and so many people are making films, and they are savvy distributors, um, that it's not enough just to hold your fingers at right angles and sort of be uh, a, you know, a, a beret-wearing filmmaker with a monocle and, and, and saying, you know, I don't worry about the business concerns because I'm a filmmaker with a capital F. You really have to have these, uh, these issues, uh, you know, under wraps before you set sail. And, and that's why there are chapters on this in, in the book. But to your, to your question, um, you know, about, about the sort of the, the new normal, um, the, the thing about it is, that, um, well, actually, I'm sorry? I say we're starting to get an awful lot of static coming through now. Okay, um, how about, how about now? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some static, but it... Okay. Well, okay. So one of the things that's that the film, you know, what what is the exercise? What do filmmakers have to do? Well, they have to look for a distribution corridor where their film would make sense to to go out. Um, one of the most important things is obviously you don't want to release your film on the same day as Avatar comes out because a big Hollywood film like that is going to suck up all of the revenue that's possible. Um, you know, on that day or in that, in, in that week. Similarly, you have to look for a, a time of year when there's not going to be a more successful version of your film in the marketplace uh, at the same time, that something that's exactly the same or in the same genre as your film. And people don't, they don't make these most basic calculations and considerations. And this is easy to do. There's a website that started out as, as, a, as, a, as a website for press and publicity materials called movieweb.com. And uh, you know, they have a calendar on there that goes out about two years ahead that has posters and trailers. You're, you're breaking way up now, Reed. Okay. Um, gosh, sorry about that. Um, how, about, how about now? No, it's still, I still get a background static if, if a listener will tell me that there's problems uh, or whether it's clear. Uh, I will, is, this, I mean, is this a little bit better? Is this a little better now? Well, I can hear you, but whenever you stop talking, there's a lot of static. I see. Um, and, and sometimes when you're speaking. Anyway, um, well, let's try and continue. I'll wait to see if a listener... Um, uh, points anything out here. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I'll just I'll just have to keep talking then, I guess. <laughs> um, I'll just keep talking without a breath. Um, basically, uh, filmmakers can go on movieweb.com and look at the calendar function and see uh, when all sorts of projects, all sorts of films are coming out. They can see which films are in their genre or in their um, you know their style of filmmaking. 
and make sure that they avoid them. I mean, obviously, you want to create a, a distribution corridor where your film can have uh, a chance to really own the opening weekend um, and not have a competitor that's exactly the same or that's going to a, a studio version of their film that's going to distract people, whether it's a love story or whether it's a horror film. Um, you know, especially if there's a lot of built-up anticipation about that glossier studio film that's coming out, uh, that's something to avoid. And, and filmmakers can, can uh, you know, can rent tr time on renttrack.com or they can go to movieweb.com to look for those distribution uh, corridors. Also, um, you know, it's, it's important to, to have professionals to, to consult with advisors. And there are a lot of advisors these days of independent filmmakers, um, especially someone like Peter Broderick of Paradigm Consulting um, or Connie White of Balcony Releasing. And uh, these professionals can advise filmmakers for a fee. It's, it's very important to not, uh, you know, sort of drop the ball at this point in the process because this is where the rubber really hits the road and where, you know, the film actually is going to get out there. I mean, you could have the best independent film ever made and people may not know about it. I mean, something like Paranormal Activity was passed over several times by distributors and then they sort of kept at it and kept at it. If you hear the story on that's archived on iTunes, um, on KCRW's The Business, um, they talk to the, 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 the producers behind that film. And, and, and it really is just, that's really kind of the shocking thing about distribution is that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a hair's breadth apart, blazing failure and meteoric success. And if you, if you do the distribution right, then your film has a chance of making it in the marketplace. But if these considerations haven't been investigated, then, you know, it can just be another, uh, you know, just another independent film release that's dead in the water. Um, so these are important things to consider. And this kind of brings us to another, another topic, which is uh, the, the legal considerations that are behind uh, uh, self-distribution deal. Because once people are getting into self-distribution, they're really getting into contracts. And that's something that people should not, should not be doing by themselves. They shouldn't be waiting to the last minute to, to get a contract. If they're handed a contract by somebody, if they're, they're looking at a four-wall or even uh, a self-distribution effort, there are a lot of legal considerations that, that come into play. And consulting uh, Uncle Joe, the divorce lawyer, or somebody else who's not really well-versed in these issues can, can lead to a distribution deal that is so weighted against the filmmakers that they could never hope to recoup, even after all of their effort, even after spending all of the distribution reserve that they've raised from the outset. It can really be a fool's errand. I mean, they can either approach barely break even, or it can end up being a loss, and then the whole thing just ends up, you know, sort of having been a, kind of a vanity project that, that doesn't get any traction. All right, and let me hold you right there because, Reed, I've got to take a break, and you've got fascinating points and lots of information, and, and we've got some uh, time left remaining. But I, I want to uh, take this break now and say that you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official website is rexsikes.com. We appreciate your comments and your support about the blogs, the articles, and these conversations. Please do feel free to email me through the website. If you hear about something coming up before I do, I'll try to investigate it and and then uh, put it up in a, in a timely fashion on the on the website. Also, please be sure to remember that you can subscribe to all of these iTunes all of these uh, conversations at the iTunes store. Just look for Movie Beat or Rex Sykes Movie Beat or just Rex Sykes, and the uh, podcast will come up at the iTunes store. You can subscribe. You can get them all, and uh, and then you'll always have them 
uh, at your fingertips, whether you listen on your computer or your iPod. Uh, but now I want to return back to uh, uh, our very fascinating guest, Reed Martin, as we continue this discussion about myth, uh, distrib myths on distribution, and, and we're uh, beginning to talk about legal. I do have some questions in the, in the uh, chat room, and so I want to be sure to leave some time to, uh, to get to those questions as well, Reed. But uh, for Great. now, go ahead, please continue. Great, thanks. Well, uh, Rex, I mean, you know, again, one of the other important things about distribution, sort of debunking a distribution myth uh, that I think is important to get out to your listeners, um, is that filmmakers who do, don't get a distribution deal, filmmakers who may get into a festival and sort of go home empty-handed, they're so crushed and, and disappointed. And again, as you said, like they think that things are dire because they haven't really thought this through in a sober way from the get-go they are very vulnerable to making decisions that are not in the best interest of their careers as filmmakers or in the best interest of their projects. And in many cases, filmmakers will come across someone who will tell them, hey, listen, uh, we will have a big, splashy premiere for your movie in your hometown, or maybe a limited release in a couple of theaters, and the only thing you have to do is, <laughs> is sign away the, rights to, the distribution rights to your film uh, for 15 years or even in perpetuity, and including the online distribution rights. Now, this is a huge, huge mistake and probably the most important thing that, that we're going to discuss uh, in our conversation today. Those filmmakers who are, who are really despondent and depressed should remember that you know, for $1,200, they can throw their own splashy premiere in their hometown, and for $10,000, they could have a limited run uh, in a four-wall situation. In, in a theater in a, in a major city, and probably for ten thousand dollars on top of that, they could you know get the word out in appropriately uh, in, in newspapers and some other venues. Um, so you know the thing is, most filmmakers who are in this situation, you know they want to have some semblance of what they think of as a pickup or as a film distribution deal, and in a sense, for twenty thousand dollars, they end up signing away the rights and ownership of their film in perpetuity for $20,000, which is a huge, huge mistake because uh, that film, however raw and however edgy or, or you know, uncommercial, quote-unquote uncommercial in the current marketplace, may have real value as soon as a lot of these Internet um, exhibition and distribution issues shake out. I mean, somebody may in the next couple of months, create a sort of an, an iTunes, if you will, for independent film, um, or a distribution venue where independent filmmakers can go online to be able to just distribute their films straight into uh, the newest HD and 3D TVs that have, um, you know, internet capability built right in without the need for an additional set-top box. And there may be new avenues uh, for, for monetizing their films. For instance, uh, Amazon.com has its CreateSpace uh, subsidiary, which allows filmmakers to, to sell their films on DVD in, with, you know, with glossy four-color art and everything else, and be able to monetize uh, their films. Now, if they've signed away the distribution rights for this kind of Pinocchio um, candy cane <laughs> with their ears, you know, growing donkey ears, for, for, a, for a limited upside of just having a premiere and being able to sh you know, show their friends that their film, quote-unquote, got distributed or picked up, um, 
they're doing themselves a huge disservice. And, and there also may be micropayments. There was an article just yesterday in the New York Times about how Xbox 360 and uh, the PlayStation 3 are now seen as cable channels because of the Xbox Live service and because of the PlayStation Home service. Now people can, can, can rent content through those two consoles. And again, going forward, as this shakes out, there will be new avenues of distribution and new avenues to monetize independent films and, and monetize content. And so the big headline from our conversation today is that filmmakers should be very wary about signing away the distribution rights or signing away in perpetuity the internet distribution rights of their movies because what's going to end up happening is they'll have that, that premiere, they'll be able to have their parents come, they'll have a little red carpet event with some hors d'oeuvres, and then they'll have nothing to show for it. They'll have no money and perhaps not even uh, any type of, of success or revenue that they can point to to help get them a second directing or second producing job. Which well, again brings us to the leap. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, the conversation started out fairly dire and uh, and has become much much more hopeful. I mean, I think it's an excellent point that that you make to say to any um, despondent filmmaker, especially one who's who is not seeing their deal distributed presently, that the future does hold promise. Um, again, it's promise. It's not nece it's not necessary that they will see you know, a, another form of distribution. But it's likely, you know, because we, we do kind of sit on the precipice or the edge of all sorts of new avenues opening up and new outlets opening up, and, and you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that all shakes out in the future. But it does provide this glimmer or, you know, of hope, you know, for people to look forward to and, and, to, and to not think that it's over just because they didn't get the deal that they thought they were going to. Uh, so I think that's a that's a very important point that you bring up. And you were going to mention something about the legal. And um, we've got about 20 minutes left, and I, I want you to be able to cover all that you have to cover. And then, as I said, there's a couple of questions, you know, in the um, in the chat room that I'd I'd like you to be able to address if 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 you're able to. So yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is, oh, fact, um, you know, just finally on that point, I mean, this brings us to the legal part of the conversation, which is that it's not enough to have you know, Uncle Joe, the divorce lawyer, um, look over the contracts that are being put in front of the face of the filmmakers who are going to you know, wrongly say, oh, this is great, you know, this is great, somebody wants to distribute our film, when what they really want to do is just have a limited run in a couple of theaters and then own the rights to the film in perpetuity, including the potentially lucrative internet distribution rights. And it's very important to have a lawyer uh, look over the uh, the terms, the deal terms. In fact, even if the deal is legitimate, um, you know the, the filmmakers can end up not getting any money because, as you pointed out earlier, all of the distribution and overhead and expense costs related to marketing and creating prints and everything else have to be recouped before the filmmaker makes any money. So it's not even about Hollywood creative accounting. That's that's kind of not even a consideration. It's just that it's accepted practice that the distri distributors or even the lesser distributors have to recoup all sorts of costs, including the, their own overhead costs and other billing charges, um, you know, transportation, FedEx, things like that, um, before the filmmaker can see any overages. And, and it's very important to have an attorney look through um, those contracts to make sure that the deal points 
um, are not weighted uh, unfairly against the filmmakers. And that's something I, I really address in de graphic detail in my book, The Real Truth. But this brings us to sort of the legal discussion, which is that a lot of filmmakers are willing to spend, you know, $5,000 for a, a Mac Pro tower or seven or eight, $9,000 for a Sony EX3, uh, whether it's used or new, or they'll spend uh, $3,000 on a Blackmagic uh, design card to be able to edit their film. Uh, all sorts of bells and whistles, but they'll cheap out on, on two things. One is hard drives. They won't buy enough uh, backup hard drives to back up their, their, their initial footage or their edit or their, their edit decision list. And they cheap out on attorneys. They'll say, well, I'm not going to spend $500 an hour on a lawyer. That's just such a waste of money. Meanwhile, you know, they're, they'll hemorrhage cash in every other area, including craft service, before they'll spend money on lawyers. But in fact, the independent film business is still the film business, and the film business really works on lawyers and legal issues and contracts. It's really all about lawyers and contracts, and anybody who doesn't think so is really in for um, a, a rude awakening. I spoke to Steve Shaneberg, the, the director of Secretary, and he told me uh, in kind of a comedic uh, way that uh, you know filmmaking is all about, whoa, here come the lawyers. And it's really important that people protect themselves and that they, they, they have contracts in place because everybody starts out as friends, but as the saying goes, friends are friends and business is business. And uh, you know, even close pals like Jay Leno and, and Conan O'Brien have, have uh, you know, sort of recently had this falling out. And again, it's, it's an intractable situation, it's business. And that happens 10 times a day on your average independent film. I mean, there are all sorts of areas where having an attorney vet contracts is absolutely critical. Having an attorney look into the background of people that you're going to be in business with is absolutely critical. And where spending, um, you know, even as much as $15,000 on uh, attorney's fees from the outset, let alone during the production, is, is absolutely critical. I mean, lawyers are really the uh, uh, rental car insurance that nobody really wants to get, uh, nobody thinks is important until uh, a fender bender ends up costing them you know, uh, three or four thousand dollars in a deductible, or when a head-on collision uh, lands them in, in, the, in the hospital for, for months, mangled and, and uh, on life support, God forbid. So again, it's really critical to get a film lawyer. It's not enough to rely on somebody who is really dabbling in it. Um, in my book, uh, you know, I, I spoke extensively to uh, really talented, high-profile attorneys like uh, Stephen Beer of Greenberg Traurig in New York, and you can look them up online, or Wilder Knight <clears throat> of Prior Cashman, Sherman, and Flynn in New York. And, uh, you know, it's really important to, to make those considerations. Now, where does this all break down? Um, you know, in, in employee contracts, you don't want to have a situation where somebody on your production team is able to hold the film hostage by... Um, by saying that they want more money. And typically what you'll have happen is you'll, you'll be on set, everything will be going well, and you'll have a situation where somebody on the crew says, you know what, um, I'm going to walk off the project unless I get more money. Or you'll have a situation possibly where you have a, a, a name actor or a star or somebody in the film who suddenly demands a producer credit. And you know, most aspiring independent filmmakers, they want to be everybody's best friend, they want to smooth things over, so they say, sure, I'll give you a production credit, no problem. What they don't realize is that production credits have inherently, along with them, uh, payment fees 
and also a percentage of the upside of the project. And so they can be with sort of the casual granting of a, of a producer, something they don't consider to have vetted by an attorney. They can be essentially giving away the upside of their movie, which if the film is a huge success like Paranormal Activity, it makes $100 million, that's really significant, serious money. And that really speaks to um, a, 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 an issue where it's sort of the, the perception falls down for a lot of aspiring independent filmmakers is they don't consider what if this thing is a huge success. They're so wrapped up in making their day and not going over budget and a hundred other issues and a hundred other problems, what the tracking shot is going to look like, what the music in their film is going to look like, that they don't really consider what could possibly be the outcome if this thing is a huge success. And then they're in big trouble because there are expectations. People thought that a conversation represented their contract. There are all sorts of oral representations and contracts that are formed, and it can lead to really big trouble having to arbitrate or even uh, deal with lawsuits uh, related to, to these issues where somebody who's friends or have been friends for 10 years says, well, I thought they said or I thought this meant or they told me that, and all of these contracts have to be hashed out based on people's recollections of what was said rather than what's in a contract and what's on paper. Well, I think it's uh, just uh, an incredible um, amount of golden advice i mean you know there there is a downside to filmmaking and that is all the entanglements that are are possible or likely or, or i mean there's even a category errors and omissions for all the things that might or could go wrong or or papers that weren't signed or or items that weren't delivered and and um and i i just what i find so valuable about you and your book is that you address these issues you bring them to light you you so that filmmakers you know can plan to eliminate as many difficult areas as possible. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you saying all of what you've said and talking about all of what you talked. I think it's also important to say that any attorney, I mean, you, you pointed out that don't, just don't go to any uncle attorney, but, but it's also important when you're searching for an attorney or for anybody, a consultant or anyone qualified, is to investigate them as well. I mean, make sure that you're getting what they tell you you're getting, you know, find the best that you can afford and make sure that, that um, they're, you know, a qualified uh, person in, in the area that, uh, of expertise that you're, that you're seeking. Because um, not all attorneys, not all consultants, not all producers or directors are created equal, and, and I guess we all know that. Um, the, uh, you had I mentioned there was some, some calling. There's some some emails there from. Are some uh, yes, there are some questions, and I'm going to ask you those now. I just wanted to say that a friend of Movie Beats and a colleague and author John Reese, uh, who who wrote Think Outside the Box Office, has recommended creating a, in fact a crew position uh, in the early days that, that would be the essentially the person who is the um, one in charge of setting up distribution. Um, from the get-go, I mean, which I think was an excellent point. In other words, uh, you know, and, and I know you recommend this as well. You know, from the very beginning, when you're when you're getting your project underway, is to you know be planning your distribution strategy and, as you said, setting money aside. And um, and uh, I, I just think that's that's so valuable for people to hear today because. For so many years, you know, we could just be artists, and now we have to be business people. And uh, and sometimes it's very difficult to to wear more than one hat. Um, I have someone here in the, um, and I, I'm not sure how you're going to answer this. 
And I want to say that none of our answers ever constitute legal advice and, and never constitute anything, uh, in, I think, in terms of what you should do, um, but hopefully provide you a direction for thinking about something, and then you can investigate you know, how you might go ahead and, and actualize things um, with the right counsel. Um, there is someone here who's uh, online, is a producer, and has uh, actually a, a celebrity high-profile celebrity interest in the role, but they want to see 100% in escrow, uh, having difficulty raising their money, um, said they can't even talk about a pre-distribution sale until they complete their project, uh, totally frustrated, been to, hundreds of or been to many film festivals and networked to hundreds of people, and, and nothing has panned out at this point. And their this person's question was, how do you raise money? And I, that could be a topic of a whole bunch of other shows, but, but uh, you know, there might be some insight that you can pass along in this way? Well, I mean, the question is, how do you raise money? That's sort of the age-old question uh, for, for anybody who's in any endeavor, whether it's entrepreneurship or, you know, pharmaceutical startups or especially independent filmmakers. Um, you know, this is kind of a, a timely age-old question. In this current economy where, where money is scarce, it's much harder for independent filmmakers to move forward because their aunts and uncles don't have that uh, $10,000 or even $1,000 that they can spare and let them sort of get started. So it makes things, it makes things a lot tougher uh, for people who are, who are just starting out because historically, you know, they used to be able to take a flyer, uh, maybe get some money out of uh, a second mortgage, which I do not recommend and which uh, is, a, is a disastrous idea. Um, it's probably not even possible anymore to do, but, you know, they're, they're, if, you, if you rent Marina Zenovich's documentary, Independence Day, um, there are all sorts of disasters with how people go about raising uh, financing in the wrong way, and I definitely recommend that documentary. But as far as raising say money... Again, it's, say it again, it's Independence oh, Day? It's Independence Day, which is Marina Zenovich. Uh, she's the director of the Roman Polanski Wanted and Desired documentary that got so much press uh, several months ago, she her first film was called Independence Day, uh, Independence uh, S apostrophe I guess, which followed the travails of uh, of Sundance applicants, um, and and she's got some big names. I mean, she talked to Kevin Smith and and some other filmmakers of renown. Um, it's a really terrific uh, documentary that I think would make a good uh, companion piece to my book, The Real Truth everything you didn't know you need to know about making an independent film. But as for raising funds in a down economy, there are people. Let me interrupt you one more time and just say that the, the way it's spelled is E-N. No, independent, independent, independent. Like independent film. Yes, yes, of course, yes. With an apostrophe as well, as opposed to Independence Day, which is a holiday. I'm just trying to make sure that, that people... Oh, I, yes, of course. Yes, I got you. That's, that's the, yes, that's the pun. But um, as far as raising funds in a down economy, I mean, there are people who will invest in the arts. There are, there are grants that people can look into. Um, but there's also, there are also people who are willing to take a flyer on, on uh, entertainment. There, there are people who have not lost their money in, in, in the, uh, the bubble or in the recession recently. And there, there are people in certain hotspots uh, like Silicon Valley. There are uh, people who are in the video game sector. Uh, there are people in real estate who got out uh, before the downturn, uh, people who live in, uh, in Palm Beach. And then there's, also, there's always the sort of uh, proverbial uh, dentist or uh, doctor who may have an interest and who may want to get 
uh, involved, albeit at much lower levels, I think it's probably harder for people to raise a full-on $1 million to $5 million budget uh, this way. And that I guess what people should do is they should lower their expectations and have digital projects, maybe even shooting on something like, uh, you know, the, the, the $1,500 camera um, that would require a separate sync sound. Or, or just making a digital project that can allow them to make a film for their first project. Maybe they should lower their expectations and make their first film uh, something other than what they had initially planned on, something much more economical so that they can at least become filmmakers and start working and get something in the can and then save the big budget, big, huge project for their second project that may be able to get studio financing or financing from people once the economy starts to improve. We should also say that there are states and there are countries that uh, incentivize their uh, film business or attract, uh, or like Puerto Rico or you know different areas in Czechoslovakia, Romania, that that kind who who actually help to fund movies, uh, and you might want to explore that, um, but explore it wisely. I mean, because I can't say whether or not there's you know there's as much trouble as there is. Uh, not trouble, you know, when looking into something like this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are production incentives uh, from recording a film, I'm sorry, recording a film, making a film, uh, either digitally or on 35 millimeter, if you shoot in Europe or if you shoot in other countries or if you cast actors from other countries. I mean, there are all sorts of uh, gr uh, production incentives and, and uh, you know, soft money that can be acquired. Look into it, and there, there are a number of... Uh, of uh, books uh, on the shelf, including The Real Truth, to talk about how you can go about doing this. It's not really something for the uh, people who aren't uh, sort of sophisticated in this area to just suddenly undertake, um, you know, in terms of going out for, with, with an international sales agent and, and, and taking that approach. But th there, is a way, there, there are funds available. There are people who still have money to invest. It just takes a long time. I mean, it always takes a long time. In The Real Truth, I talked to Alexander Payne, who said, you know, he talks to filmmakers who complain about having to try to make, uh, try to raise funds for six months. Well, Alexander Payne, for, while he was trying to make Citizen Ruth, it took him about three years to get the financing for that film put together. So uh, this is the business we have chosen, as he says, quoting uh, The Godfather 2, and it really is a long, hard slog. And, you know, going out from a consortium of dentists or family money, or raising uh, funds in some other way from a from a, uh, a former dot com billionaire now millionaire doesn't uh, really speak toward being able to do it any easier. The fundraising is always very difficult. Well, and, and some could say also that attorneys, if they're good attorneys and they're and they're the reputable attorney and they're the big the power broker attorney, and if you can afford them, oftentimes they they know where to get money from. That's right. Attorneys, that's another reason why it's important to have a lawyer because they may have access to clients or they may have access to people who are interested in investing in independent film and they may be able to put that, they may be able to, to put those two parties together. And so that's another reason why it's absolutely critical, especially to go with a film attorney, someone who has experience in this space and who's connected to, to, uh, to this industry. And it should be said that it shouldn't be too disappointing if you're a fairly new producer or even I mean there are plenty of seasoned producers that, that I'm sure you and I talk to every day that are having difficulty raising money 
for their films, and their films might be five million dollars or ten million dollars or a million dollar movie, but but they are having you know everybody at this time seems to be facing you know some difficulty. So if you are you hang in there, uh, work smart, uh, keep the faith, and and do what you can to make your dream come true. Is I guess the advice that that I would give. But but again, it's it's working smart and it's working efficiently and it's 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 pursuing those avenues that are are likely to bring you some form of success by by knowing which ones to avoid as well. Reed, it's well, been excellent talking with you. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the thing that's absolutely critical. I mean, if you just extend the time horizon out, it just takes a little bit longer, uh, but people just need to stick with it and, uh, and, and follow their dreams. Absolutely. We've got about two minutes left, Reed, and um, somebody had asked about um, um, – well, and somebody just asked a question now about sport agents and said it's not a bad idea to go to sport agent to find money. I don't know if you know anything about that, but the question I was going to ask you as well was somebody somebody wanted to know about some of the people that you interviewed in terms of directors and the hardships that they had, and 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 and, and I guess just wanted to ask kind of a question about how you you know how you how you got the information that you got for the book, The Real Truth. Oh, well, that's the thing. I was covering uh, independent film for USA Today for several years. So I, I went to uh, Sundance three times, and I went to the Cannes Film Festival three times. And I was interviewing all sorts of uh, directors and, and, and producers um, and, and, and iconic filmmakers like uh, Chris Nolan and Kim Pierce, uh, Lee Daniels, uh, Christine Vachon, uh, who's produced a number of my favorite independent films, Ted Hope, and, and, and really the list goes on and on, Terry Zweigoff, uh, Ken Burns. And I would always save one question at the end of every interview, which was, what's the worst advice you ever got? Actually, two questions. What's the worst advice you ever got, and what's the one thing you wish somebody had told you before you started out? And that was the question that really lit people up, and they would often say, you know, how long have you got? I mean, uh, you know, a director like Jim Sheridan uh, who directed Brothers most recently, told me all sorts of harrowing stories about when he first started out and, and trying to make it as a film director and having to support a family and, and everything that you see happening in his very personal autobiographical film in America, most of which was true. Um, you know, and, and those stories of, of, of uh, struggle really inform the first chapter of The Real Truth. And it's, I have a, a terrific chapter called uh, most famous directors struggled famously, so that even if filmmakers think that uh, a lot of things are dire and, and it's really hard to raise money, there are all sorts of stories of success and struggle, um, like Dylan Kidd, who directed Roger Dodger and, and, and P.S. Uh, after that, you know, talks about all of the awful, awful day jobs and night jobs that he had around Manhattan working in, in pool halls and as an assistant in, a, in, a, in an old age home and all kinds of things. Um, while he was trying to write screenplays and, and make it as a filmmaker and how tough it was to define himself as a filmmaker to tell people that he was a director when he was, um, you know, doing all of these uh, jobs like working as a, as a tennis uh, instructor and, and, and some other things all around Manhattan. Um, so, so that's how I got in touch with everybody. All of the, all of the interviews and the real truth are first-person interviews. Um, well, you know, Yep. I, I, we're actually right out of time. I, I got to close it down. But let everybody know that you're coming back. We're going to do another interview with you, another bunch of interviews with you, and I sure appreciate everything. Thanks so much. Sorry to Absolutely. have to cut you off. No, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. It's been fascinating, and, and uh, everybody, you should read. 
the real truth. And uh, I also want to say, hey, go to firestarterfilms.com. That's firestarterfilms.com, the website. I got an ad. I took out an ad on that site. I want you to look at the ad. I want you to see that if you like the ad, I want you to get one for yourself if you're a filmmaker. Also, they have a membership if you're a filmmaker you ought to join. Uh, and I just want to tell you that I know I'm not getting any money and I'm not paid to say it. Uh, again, I want to thank my fascinating guest, Reed Martin, and you, my listeners of Movie Beat. Please share this with all of your friends, your industry connections. Tell them to tune in to get the podcast and to visit rexsikes.com. Become a member of the Facebook group or the fan page. Please do that as well. And uh, everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies complete your projects, and uh, until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.